0: So who do we trust,
1: huh? Like always, me and Dick.
2: Welcome to Me and The and Three, a Starsky and Hutch fan podcast. I'm Monica. I'm Jen. And I'm Rachel. And we're here to have a long conversation about Starsky and Hutch. And we thought we would start this week with a question that Rachel thought of.
0: Alright, so my question for this week is, who is your fashion icon?
2: I think Rachel should have to start.
0: Oh, alright, well that's an easy question for me. It is the one... The only Huggy Bear Brown, I just adore his outfits, and I love all his hats, and I love all his scarves, and I just, I just think his fashion is perfect. And if I, if I could pull it off, I would wear all of his clothes.
2: I do like when he's wearing scarves around his neck.
0: Oh, they're so Very, nice.
2: Yeah, good look. Little ascots. Does that what
1: an ascot is?
0: Um, I believe one could call that an ascot. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs>
1: See for me this question is two different answers if you're asking me what do I enjoy looking at the most versus what would I actually wear. So clearly wherever Starsky buys his jeans is the most blessed of all clothing manufacturers uh, in this universe. But in terms of what I would want to wear. I think my favorite outfits are those worn by uh, Marianne Tustin in the Tap Dancing Your Way Right Back Into Our Hearts episode. At one point, she's wearing all red with like a red scarf over her hair, and she basically looks like the Scarlet Witch from Marvel Comics, and that is what I would love to look like. That is an amazing outfit.
2: I'm, I've got sort of a boring answer, uh, Hutch, but to be fair, <laughs> he wears a lot of plaid. I like plaid, and I love that shirt he has with the guitar on the back. It's such a dorky shirt. That—that That is to say, there are definitely lots of outfits of his I would not wear. But I have to admit, I don't pay a huge amount of attention to the clothing on this show, so I don't actually remember a lot of great outfits off the top of my head. Would you wear his Serape? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: this is an important question. Not as a first choice, no.
0: My question is, is the guitar shirt, was it something he bought himself or was it a gift?
2: Ooh. I think he bought it himself. Yeah. I think he probably saw it at a thrift store and was like, this has a guitar on it, I love the guitar, I must wear it. And no one thought to like correct him (laughs) on his idea that he has to wear things that have things he loves embroidered on them. I'm sure... At some point, he'll wear a shirt with like a plant embroidered on the back.
1: I was at a thrift store once and found a shirt that inexplicably said, we play euchre without you, which is a very specifically upper Midwestern kind of thing. And my question is, would Hutch have bought that shirt? Do they play euchre in Minnesota? I believe so. I'm pretty sure it's, it's a thing there as well. I still don't know what Euchre is. I'm from New Jersey.
2: It's a card game. That's all you need to know.
1: I think it's very Germanic.
2: So I don't know if it would necessarily be a Duluth thing, but it could, I suppose. Maybe season four Hutch would wear that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, season four Hutch. Oh, God. Sometimes he wears really nice outfits. And then sometimes it's just that stupid bowling shirt and the Hawaiian shirts. And I'm just like, why Hutch? Why? You do wear nice clothes. I know you have them.
1: Season four is just a parade of bad aesthetic decisions on Hutch's fall part.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But I kinda like that, because then you can be like Hutch is kinda falling apart. <laughs> true. This is true.
0: And then at the end, then that's just that's when that's when he gets everything back in the very last scene. That's true. Well, I wanted to share. The fabulous gift that I got from Monica and Jen, Uh, it is the Starsky and Hutch board game from the 70s, and it was just, it's such a delight. I love the illustration on the cover, and the game itself, it's not the most complex, but you each, uh, everyone gets to be the Torino, which is really fun, and you drive around and you try to catch your perp by collecting the cards with the that match the face of your perp card. And I just really love, like, this artifact. As Jen was saying, you know, that the 70s, they were just churning out these games for everything. And I just... I really just want to, like, mount it somewhere. Because I really do love the the cover illustration. And it's fun because they've got lots of shots of mostly Season 1, but I think maybe a couple things of Season 2... Uh, on the board itself, it's a pretty, it's a pretty awesome present.
1: <laughs> We're glad you like it. The game itself is super boring. Uh, don't don't buy this on eBay hoping for a rollicking good time. It's you're rolling dice, you're moving, you pick up cards, and then eventually you have four of the same card and then you win. You do get uh, to chase other players, though.
0: Yes, we did not make use of that very yeah. much. Yeah, that's true. Also, oh my, you know what you could do? It'd be a really great game for, like, you'd have to make up a case fic while doing it.
2: Okay, so bring a a narrative into the gameplay. As someone who's not really good at thinking up plots on the spot, I think I'd have some difficulty with that, but it certainly would make the game more interesting.
1: I just feel like there are better ways to do a mystery board game. I owned the Babysitter's Club mystery board game, and that was much more sophisticated than this one. I'm actually liking Rachel's
2: idea of modifying this game now, because the board does have some fun pictures of Starsky and Hutch on it, and you do have these little Torino cards that are your pieces... So what if we we were like Hutch is trapped under his car somewhere and we're like racing to save him, and whoever like saves him first is his Starsky.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah.
2: So basically you're you're competing with the other players to be the one and true Starsky.
1: I think that could be fun. That, yes. a little... I just is your little Torino becoming Starsky? Is this like that joyride fic? No, I you're you're, just... you're in the Torino. Exactly. Okay, okay. I'm still skeptical, but I'd be willing to try it.
0: And then, of course, you can always spice things up if you're a drinker and make it also a drinking game.
2: <laughs> I mean, if you want to go to Kafka Horror, we could make it... You've body swapped at the Torino and you're trying to, like, get your own body back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just wish there were cards in this game, because I know... I played the uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman uh, board game, which is from approximately the same era, also a mass-produced, cheap uh, TV tie-in board game, but that had cards with different characters and secrets and plot elements from the show. And this, basically the only show components are the images themselves. The gameplay doesn't have much to do with the show. Still a delight, though.
2: It reminds me of um, some other Starsky and Hutch games, mainly a racing game from the n- late nineties, early two thousand. Two thousand two. Two thousand and two. That uh, Rachel showed us some YouTube videos of people <laughs> playing this game, and it looked pretty horrible, but fun.
0: The nice thing is, is that Antonio Fargas does voice Huggy in it, which is pretty awesome, and he does. I think he narrates as well, because it's Huggy's narration. Uh, But yeah, if you're you're interested, you can watch both people play it, and you can just watch just the cutscenes. And actually, I kind of quite like the cutscene style, Um, visually. I like sort of this, uh, I'm not good at describing art, but I I enjoy uh, the style that they're in.
2: Well, in the last episode, I mentioned I had a Torino-related surprise, and... I, I like art and uh, my friends might be able to say that that uh, one style of art I like uh, and one specific artist of this style that I like is Dolly. Good job. <laughs> Jen was cycling through a couple artists I like. That, that I was, was her issue. It's not that she doesn't <laughs> know enough. It was that she knew too much. But Rachel got it in one. Dolly, I like surrealist art and. Um, sometimes the universe will create a thing and you're like, oh, I should probably own that thing. And, you know, science is just like kind of an odd conflation. Like, I once wandered into a store and saw a poster of Florence, of Florence and the Machine, holding a rabbit. And it was just a very nice picture. I'm like, well, if the universe is going to provide Florence holding a rabbit, I should probably own it. And if the universe were to provide a striped tomato in a surrealist style, painted by Paul Michael Glazer, in a poster form, I should probably buy it. So this is what I bought, and I'm going to go show it to you guys now. Okay! Oh my god! Is that what was in the tube? (laughs) It was in the tube, and I'm sorry to say I actually tore it slightly as I took it out out of the tube. So it's slightly ripped, but only at the very bottom, so I'm not feeling too bad about it. It was my own fault. It was packaged fine. I just didn't have a good grip on it as I got it out of the
1: tube. I assume we're cutting this part out. So, well, you're talking as you walk away from the microphone.
0: Okay, but the thing is, like, I wish this was a visual medium at times just because my face. When Monica (laughs) said Paul (laughs) "Paul, (laughs) painted by all my laser. and I I believe it's digital art. So
2: by painted, I mean created.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay. Time for the uh, reveal. The great reveal.
0: Oh my god! Oh my god! What is this? This, this is, is amazing! So weird! It's a tomato and it's got the Torino stripe! And
2: I'm waiting for my friends to notice the final detail. It's
1: signed! I I did notice that. I just I couldn't read it from the angle I was at. <gasps> to Jen, Monica, and Rachel, all the best. Aww. Oh my god! That's That's adorable. How did this... So, you need to tell the story of how this came to be. Sure. Also, why is there a leaf coming off of the tomato in the corner? The surrealist wind. (laughs) (laughs) For visuals. I don't know. I like it. You're gonna have to take a photograph and put this in the show notes. Okay.
0: God, I... Oh! I get it framed, right?
2: Yes, especially because I tore it slightly, and so the frame will hide that completely. And this is part of a fundraiser for the Elizabeth Glazer Foundation. So some of the proceeds go to um, Fighting AIDS. And it's on Paul Michael Glazer's website. I think it's paulmichaelglazerofficial.com, but I'll have to look that up. And it's, uh, it's not a large product line. This was the only thing that really Spoke to me of the product line, um, but knowing that some of it was going to a good cause and that I love surrealist art, and it was just so odd. I mean, it felt like <laughs> it's so odd, it was coming at me because it was it's, <laughs> a it's striped so tomato for you. that looks like it could have been painted by Dolly, basically. So,
1: uh, yeah, I feel like Dolly's art would have been better, <laughs> nothing you against You better cut that, Rachel. Oh my god, laser. what <laughs> the heck, Jen. What the heck? <laughs> Personally, I think that the striped tomato that we made Rachel for Christmas <laughs> is the best striped tomato. So well, those by our own Jen, after all. <laughs> I don't think we described this in a previous podcast, but for Christmas, I bought one of those tomato-shaped no, it was, pin it was my, cushions. It was my birthday. It was your birthday. It was yes. your birthday. Okay, so for your birthday, I bought one of those tomato-shaped pin and a. Box of straight pins with little white knobs at the end, and I put them in a row around the middle of the tomato so that the pincushions formed a stri- so so that the pins formed a stripe around the pincushion, and I presented it to Rachel as a striped tomato.
0: And it's quite nice, but now everything makes sense because I remember once upon a time you said, "Oh, I spent." too much money on something that I probably shouldn't have, which you totally should have, and it's good that you did. And it's for charity. Yes, exactly. And you also said um, that I would probably notice it as soon as I walked in when you had it. (laughs) Yes,
2: I thought that I would like frame it and put it up on the wall when I got it but it arrived just today so obviously this was the right way to show it to you two. were
1: you it imagining was. you would get to frame it without me knowing because that would have been
0: some subterfuge I actually thought it would arrive before you came home oh. <laughs> that would have been that would have been pretty cool but I think this was like live on the podcast right. reveal <laughs> so amazing I just ah. Uh... And I'm really flattered that you had it signed to us as well. That's that yeah, really
2: that's awesome. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I I feel weird about getting things signed just to me. I, I don't know. Like, well,
0: I'm happy to I'm happy to be added to that <laughs> list.
1: <laughs> good, good. We could hang it up there.
2: I was thinking over the that, TV, like that would be nice. We, we might need to just rearrange some of the art in here, but it would be good up there. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should probably move on. And I, I think our next segment is, uh, Rachel's.
0: Oh, yes. Um, so during Christmas, my, my mother and my sister and I were going out to go shopping, And my sister, when we're getting in the car, says, Oh, hey, I was listening to a radio show, and she listens to British broadcast radios, because 80s New Wave, uh, specifically British 80s New Wave, is her genre. She said that she heard a Starsky and Hutch reggae song. So I had to look it up, and it was pretty easy to find, because if you basically search Starsky and Hutch reggae, you come up with Trinity, who is the artist, And the song is called Starsky and Hutch. And it starts out basically with uh, someone asking, Hey, Starsky, where's Hutch? And that's about (laughs) all I can understand, honestly. Uh, I need to have more listenings to catch more of it. But it's, it's quite a fun beat. Nice. It's fun to find all these different songs. And genres you don't really expect... To have references to Starsky and Hutch.
1: We definitely found, like, a an LL Cool J song called Starsky and Hutch, and I cannot figure out the connection at all. Like, that's the title, but it's they're not referenced in the song. So I don't know the context either. Uh, but I feel like Starsky and Hutch keeps popping up all over the place now that we're looking out for it. Jen, you had something to say... Well, there are a couple of things. First, uh, I should mention that I bought a... Impulse bought a Blu-ray double feature of Dirty Harry and Magnum Force. I have never seen Dirty Harry, even though I know that it is a classic. Um, And I certainly have never seen Magnum Force, which I'd never even heard of until our first trip to the Iowa archives, where I kept seeing references to this ship that I'd never heard of. They were saying how there were three major ships, uh, or four major ships for fandom, and it was Kirk and Spock, and Starsky and Hutch, and the pair from The Professionals, I Woody think. and Doyle! Um, and then the fourth one was Harry and someone. I, I clearly did my research for this. Anyway, and I was like, I don't know what this is, and then I saw a reference to Magnum Force, so I googled that, and it's apparently a... A sequel to Dirty Harry, which co-starred David Soul, and so the ship is David Soul's character and Clint Eastwood's character. I have no idea what the context is, but I was fascinated because I feel like I came into fandom at a time where it was expected that you would learn your fandom history, um, that you would know that you know we could go back in time to Sherlock Holmes fans, and we could go even further back in time to people writing new Arthurian legends and everything, but that modern slash fandom started with Star Trek and the man from UNCLE and then went through. There was the Professionals and and Starsky and Hutch and then there was Blake Seven and Beauty and the Beast and all these other things that I had barely even heard of, but this was a a timeline that i had memorized despite having never seen most of these shows the sentinel uh, is another in that list do south obviously and the ray wars it was like <laughs> it was like being able to list the, the you know the events of american history um like the ray wars are you know really significant they're like some kind of civil war but maybe <laughs> like the professionals was like the war of 1812 i don't know <laughs> anyway <laughs> um the point was i had never heard of magnum force and yet all of these zines were talking about it as if it were on par with some of these others that did stand the test of time so i find it really interesting that there was this blip on the radar which seems to have largely come from the fact that david soul is in this film and so it's one of the first examples i can think of of fandom following an actor to another project and then starting a fandom around that other project, even if it's not necessarily a traditional fan text. It's not, you know, a a buddy cop thing. It's not a sci fi. It's it's a little off the beaten path. So never seen this movie, don't know if it's good or not, but we're gonna watch it and we will report back at some point uh with our thoughts on Magnum Force and how fanish a text it lends itself to be.
0: It makes sense that it didn't have lasting power because, as great as movies are, vanishly, they just, most of them just don't last as long because you have the canon of the movie and then that's it. When you have series like The Lord of the Rings was three movies and then there were the Hobbit films, that makes a lot more sense that those lasted a lot longer. Plus, you had, of course, you know, coming from the books fandom as well. Whereas Magnum Force, it was a movie, and that was that. It it seems a lot to me like modern incarnations
1: of what I call, and I think others call, migratory slash fandom, where something comes out, and it's big for a summer, and everyone's writing it, and you can't seem to escape it, and then, like, a year later, no one's talking about it again. And this was true of something like Inception or The Social Network. Um, again, movies. both movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly, both movies. Get have this huge investment, this flurry of fan fiction, and then fall off the radar entirely. I look forward to watching these movies. I, I have very little knowledge
2: going
0: in. Also, also there's that episode where Starsky mentions Dirty Harry and Hutch says, who's Dirty Harry? And Starsky says he's a cop from San Francisco. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, so that means this is within the Starsky and Hutch universe.
0: This, yes, I mean, I don't... Okay, this is the thing. It was probably a joke, but... I mean, yes, it's obviously a joke. It's obviously a reference to... Because I'm sure this was after David Souls being in Magnum Force. But you have two options here. You can decide that Hutch is so into the indie scene that he does not pay attention to pop culture at all. So he legitimately has no idea about Dirty Harry, period. Or... You can take it as if they exist in the same universe, and out there, there is a carbon copy of yes. Hutch running around.
1: <laughs> that is the version that I choose to believe, because I want- I, I get the impression from what I saw in those zines that the character David Soul plays in Magnum Force is not the greatest dude, so I basically want Hutch to meet his evil twin.
0: I do like evil twins, yeah. I mean, and they quite possibly could, because clearly Starsky knows Dirty Harry, so therefore, there you go. Yeah. It seems Callie really wants to put in a word, so we'll let her have her piece.
2: So uh, you might be wondering what were you guys doing earlier today, and I was actually looking at microfilm at the library. And I've never actually looked at microfilm before, so this was crossing something off of my bucket list. And I was looking at old issues of The Advocate, which is a gay newspaper from Los Angeles that started in 1969, I think. They had uh, issues from pretty much the beginning, so I read all of 1969, 1970, and part of 1971. And it was really fascinating. I've always been very interested in queer history. And I really liked how localized this approach was because although they had news from all over the country and even uh, other parts of the world, they were very heavily focused on Los Angeles. So you get a lot of smaller stories alongside the bigger stories. I learned so much from reading these because as someone who has never lived in California and was born in 1985, This is a period of history that, yes, my parents tell me about and I've read about, but it's always fascinating seeing how in some ways it's a completely different world, a completely different experience, and then at the exact same time how in a lot of ways very little has changed. And there was a lot of news about police brutality against queer people, um, and there was a lot of uh, news about pop culture, And, uh, as I was reading it, Jen was reading it with me and she actually noticed something.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, sort of lingering over Monica's shoulder looking at various headlines and I saw a reference to Charles Pierce. And I said, wait, wait, that's Sugar! Uh, Charles Pierce played the drag queen Sugar in the episode Death in a Different Place and, uh, was a a very... Famous and well-respected female impersonator. Uh, He preferred that term to drag queen because he specifically did impersonations of people like Carol Channing and Bette Midler. And there was an article about his show in L.A. and how uh, delightful it was. And so that was a, a cool Starsky and Hutch connection. And it made us curious to see if Death in a Different Place might be referenced... Um, in the issue of The Advocate from when that episode aired. So Monica's hoping to get more microfilm. It may take a while, but when it comes in, we're hoping to look at more from the era uh, during which Star and Hatch took place and was airing on television.
2: Uh, now we should go into our rec corner. And I just have one rec, so I'll, I'll go first. Um, I read a story called Tandem from... Hutch Rules 3 and Paula Wilsh. And this is a story about Starsky and Hutch being asked to house sit for Hutch's parents over Christmas. So they travel to Minnesota, they spend some time with Hutch's sister and her children, and the dynamic there is just very sweet, where the children really love Uncle Hutch and Uncle Starsky. Um, and then they stay at the house and it was very, it's a very, it was gentle and domestic and I was like, oh, this is very sweet and well written, but I like, you know, action in my stories. But then there's like rumblings of a storm on the way and then there's an accident on a frozen lake and accidents on frozen lakes are my absolute favorite thing to happen in any story ever so at that point i was like i am loving this story and it, it was very well written um it's just full of emotion um one thing i will note is that as i was reading it i couldn't remember if it was slash or jen and i couldn't figure out i, I was for most of the story convinced that it was jen no it's actually a slash story you just um it's near the end I'm obviously perfectly happy with that. Like, I, I read Slash and Jen uh, equally. I'm I'm happy for either, but I was kind of laughing at myself that I couldn't remember which it was, and that even reading it, I couldn't figure out which it was until probably the last like, tenth of it.
1: That'll <laughs> often happen in slash Ranch. Whenever I hear people talking about Slash or Jen, I assume someone's trying to tell me apart from Slash from Guns N' Roses. Oh. Uh <laughs> pretty easy game to play we don't have a lot in common me Mm. and slash (laughs) i'm sorry i didn't mean to destroy you also monica you're a midwestern parody of yourself frozen
3: lakes
2: (laughs) i just think that they're rife with danger and intrigue but also serenity solid It is snowing
1: right now as we record.
2: I mean, have you ever just stood in the middle of a frozen lake? No? No. You're missing out. There's nothing like standing in
1: the middle of a frozen lake. It was never even possible to stand in the middle of a frozen lake when I was growing up. There were, like, little flags to tell you whether or not the tiny pond at the local playground was frozen enough to ice skate on. And usually it was a red flag, which meant, don't, you're going to die.
2: To be fair, I haven't stood in the middle of any frozen lakes this winter.
0: But
1: last winter I had.
0: Did you have any wrecks, Jen? I have not
1: really been reading lately, so I unfortunately do not have anything at the moment.
0: Well, I have two Rex, and they are both of the Huggy Starsky variety, because I, well, like Monica, I'm an equal opportunity gen and slasher, and I'm also a massive multi-shipper. So, Huggy Starsky is a very very good ship, in my opinion. So the first fic is Substitute by Nyssa, and there's one paragraph that I really want to read. First of all, what it's about is its first-person Huggy point of view, and he and Starsky are going to go have sex, and Huggy says that he and Starsky have sex a lot, and it's just sex, and there's nothing more to it. However, when I read it, I feel like there's an unspoken pining that's going on. And this paragraph, I think, showcases Huggy's frustration with Starsky's infatuation with Hutch. He jerks back like I just throwed something at him. This ain't about Hutch, he says. Real snappish. And if that ain't bullshit, I never smelled none. Everything's always about Hutch. When he fucks me, it's about Hutch. When he don't, it's about Hutch. When he eats and sleeps and breathes, it's about Hutch. And I just, oh my gosh, that paragraph just does so much for me. And and near the end, Huggy has sent Starsky off to go talk to Hutch, because Hutch has also been depressed, so he thinks, like, well, they should just finally admit it to one another that they love each other. And he thinks, okay, now I'll have to go back to the restaurant, and I gotta go do stuff. And he thinks about how Starsky and Hutch are gonna, you know, be making out, and he just, at the end, says shit. Because, you know, poor Huggy is left alone and cold, and this is why, when he meets Turquette, he'll finally find happiness. But until then, uh... One-sided Huggy Starsky is like, oh, it makes my heart beat. And on that note, I also want to wreck stand in by x And in this one, it takes place during um a long walk down or a walk down a long what
2: whatever. Long walk down a short dirt road.
0: Thank you. Long walk down a short dirt road. And it's before the tag of the episode. And Starsky and Huggy have hooked up, and Starsky is now going to go to Hutch's show. And he actually borrows some of Huggy's clothes, which is why he has that nice scarf and a quite a bright shirt on uh, to go, and Huggy is just, oh, the pining in it is so strong. There's also a sequel to that that takes the dialogue from the episode with the ballerina, and it uses the scene that Huggy and Starsky are in, which is full of tension, and it adds it adds tension. It, it explains the att- the tension away with it being that they just broke off their sexual relationship, and it's it's really great, and I highly recommend them.
2: It's funny you bring up that scene because I know you're not on the Facebook group, but I am. But it was, it recently came up in discussion what is going on with that scene between Starsky and Huggy, and I, I feel that most of the people replying in that conversation felt that there was a sexual tension between them, but some people didn't see it, so there, there was some back and forth about whether or not Starsky and Huggy are tense with each other in a sort of fighting way or tense with each other in a sort of sexual way.
1: I mean, the thing is, like, there's no explanation for it whatsoever. I know. And if they were fighting, you'd feel like we would have seen it. So I feel like the sexual explanation is Occam's Razor. (laughs) Also, why do half the episodes of this show have, like, Panic at the Disco song title length episode titles? (laughs) Like, this is not necessary. (laughs) I had the same problem tap dancing before. They're difficult. Some Mm. of the
2: titles in this show are just bizarre. It's true. Man Child on the Streets. I I like that episode a lot, but I hate that title. So bad. I wish someone would explain it to me, like, why did they choose that title? Because there might be a reason that I just
1: don't know. Indeed, there might be reasons for many of these things, but I do not have the answer, and to my head they all just sound like lying is the most fun you can have without taking your clothes off.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, uh, champagne... No, <laughs> shoot, what is it? Real champagne for my... No champagne for my real friends
1: real pain for my sham friends
2: (laughs) yes thank you sorry you're gonna have to cut that part out rachel
0: no i'm not Uh, (laughs) i mean also it's very it's funny because it's also i mean yes those are song titles but also they're they're like fic titles that use song lyrics as the titles I've totally so, done that. clearly, Starsky and Hutch episode title naming was just ahead of its time.
1: They just need some parentheses to
0: make it even better. Exactly.
2: <laughs> long walk, parentheses, down a- no, sorry, shoot. Short walk, parentheses, down a long dirt road. Tap
1: dancing your way, parentheses, back into our heart. And it has to be all lowercase. Yes! <laughs> What tags on AO3 will they use? <laughs> we could turn them into Fallout Out Boy if we just take out all of the fowls.
2: <laughs> well, I think we will wrap up this episode with some would-you-rather questions. And I just wrote them down because my memory is that of a concussed goldfish. Would you rather have a mysterious Dalmatian who shows up whenever you're about to be in danger... Or a box full of kittens?
1: A box full of kittens?
2: (laughs) Well, Rachel had a quick answer.
1: A mysterious <laughs> Dalmatian, obviously.
0: Okay, okay, but then this is the thing. It shows up whenever you're about to die or be in tr- danger.
1: Right, but then it's a spiny sense that I can get myself out of danger, and I also get to interact with a the dog. There's no losses here.
2: <laughs> well, I have to wonder, might it be dangerous for you, Jen, because you'd see this Dalmatian and then just be
1: distracted? <laughs> I mean, possibly. I'd just be like, doggy, you're my new friend, doggy, and then I'd be like petting it, and then someone would come over and shoot me. That that's what would happen. <laughs>
0: but dogs are great. Monica?
1: Oh, I'd go
2: with the box 12 kittens also. Yes. Would you rather live in Hutch's little house by the canal or his apartment above a restaurant?
0: The canal. I'm going to say, okay. I I got to explain this one. I would I would, pre- I would prefer the Venice place for its location because I think it's more central in town. And I'm not crazy about all the sand and stuff and I feel like it would get in the house all the time. However, I would not want the restaurant smells coming up all the time into the apartment. Because clearly it does. Like, it just has to. Like, that's how restaurant smells work. Do you think Hutch has a diminished sense of smell? I think he just doesn't care enough. Okay.
1: And maybe the plants block it out somehow.
0: Perhaps. Perhaps. They, they take in restaurant smell and they let out non-restaurant smell.
1: Jen? I feel like I would have to pick the canal house, too. I was going to say, well, it would be nice to have close proximity to a restaurant, but we literally have a restaurant in our backyard and we never go to it. So, I probably would not attend that restaurant. Monica just looked in the air like, we do? Yes, we do. It's (laughs) literally right behind this house. Um... So that shows you how little we go there. So I feel like I would not take advantage of that. And uh, my best friend growing up lived for a time in an apartment over a bar, and it was so loud. And if this restaurant is open at all late or opens up at all early, you're going to wind up having a lot of noise with a lot of people when you do not want there to be. So I, I think I would much prefer uh, a separate house.
2: That's fair. And I'm actually also going to say Canal It looks like a classy restaurant, so it's probably not going to be that noisy, but um, just sharing walls with another establishment uh, is bound to get annoying. Um, And I do actually live in a very small house with no shared walls. It's technically a condo, but it's basically a very tiny house, and it works out well. So uh, I think the canal would be very similar to that arrangement. And the final one is, would you rather keep your key above your front door, or wear a clove of garlic because you believe a vampire is roaming your city?
0: Clove of garlic. I'm sorry, someone is going to look above the front door and then they're going to break into your house and steal all your stuff. Like, Hutch, this is why people keep getting into your apartment.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with the garlic too. At first I was going to try to hedge and say like... Well, do you have another door that doesn't have a key in an obvious place? Because if it just gets you into, like, an entryway, you know, like, people can steal my shoes, whatever.
0: Also, with the garlic, I mean, no one says it can't be roasted, so then you can have a nice snack if you're hungry.
1: It's a clove
2: of garlic. It's a full clove.
0: Yeah, but you can roast it! Do cloves of garlic smell before
1: you do things with them? Not really. Like, there's a scent, but you'd have to hold it right up to your nose. Okay. So, I'm not going to go around smelling like an Italian dish.
2: Not particularly, no.
1: Okay, yeah,
2: garlic. But it's large, you know,
1: it's. I mean, I carry, like, heavy things with me all the time. A clove of garlic. I could shove I, it in. I, the... I
2: don't mean that this will be a weight restriction for you. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean that, like, people will wonder why there's a large clove of garlic hanging around your neck.
0: A fashion it... statement. Okay. People wonder about it. Yeah.
2: I'm gonna go with the key. I, I feel like few people actually would look above the door for a key. And, uh, I think, you know, if I lived by myself, which I don't, but if I did, I wouldn't feel that concerned about people taking my stuff. Okay, but don't put a key
1: over our door. No.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> I like feeling safe
1: in my home. <laughs>
0: Fine. Oh, <laughs> you don't think Callie's a good enough guard cat?
1: Oh, gosh, she'd be a terrible guard cat. She was (laughs) glaring at us when you guys were like, Boxes of kittens! Like, am I not enough? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Callie, would you rather I got a Dalmatian? (laughs) She doesn't look impressed. No. No, not at all. She's an angry cat. Well,
2: do you guys have any um, Starsky and Hutch-related hopes or goals or anything in the next couple weeks?
0: I need to start writing some more. Oh, I have one long fic that I'm trying to write, and then I have about a dozen other ideas, so I should really work on some of them.
1: I don't know if I have goals, but it's been a long time since I've made a fan mix, and that's a pretty low-commitment kind of uh, fanish production, so maybe I'll start listening to songs and, and pick out ones that make me think of Starsky and Hutch. And my goal in the next couple of weeks is
2: to start my first Starsky and Hutch fan vid. I've finally basically finished with my current non-Starsky and Hutch fan vid, so I am free to attack uh, this new fandom in vid format.
0: I'm so excited! <laughs> Thanks.
1: It's going to be beautiful, and also sad. Uh, depending on which one I start with. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us again. You can
2: hit us up on Gmail at and 3 at gmail.com
1: You can hit us up on our blog um, and site for the podcast where you are more than welcome to participate in conversations in the comments section at meandtheand dot wordpress dot com Or you can find
0: us on, on Twitter at me the three. And remember this is all written out, one word. All the threes are written out, T-H-R-E-E.
2: Thank you so much for listening.
3: Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. It's dark. It. Where is it, man? Boy, well, I see how from a government. It's gone up for housing. You don't see it. The just as a top and in fears are at a boat that in a arena. Put a life in this stadium, in a this stadium. Stalky and not said and went to catch a bus." Stalky said to a chamba that make no force for this ago.
2: In the Advocate, they said that chastity belts could not be considered safety devices. <laughs> like this is bit, this was a legal ruling. It's okay. to do with taxes. I I'm mean, like sorry, not. chastity belts, not safety devices. They are. It's apparel.